I think I could have just kept on singing. <laughs> I didn't know whether to weep or shout or what. Just to think that God has saved us sinners and that we will be with him singing the song forever and praising and glorifying his name with all the hosts that he has saved from the bondage of their sins. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I want to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Be speaking on the subject of abiding in Christ, a message for disciples of Christ as their world is changing drastically. A message for disciples of Christ as their world is changing drastically. John chapter 15, I'll ask you to stand with me as we read the Word of God together, me reading aloud, you reading silently. And these are the precious words of our Lord Jesus Christ that he spoke to his disciples just before he went to his crucifixion. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that ye love one another. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us go before the Lord in prayer as we begin to look at this text. Our Father, how we thank you and praise you for our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, we sing this song, crown him, crown him, crown him Lord of all, because he is Lord of all. He has experienced that supreme humiliation of the cross of Calvary, and he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. He is our mediatorial king, and we worship him. We thank you, Father, for a glorious Savior. How we pray that he would be exalted in the preaching of the word this morning. How we pray that that he would be seen by eyes of faith, that the Spirit of the living God would open our eyes to the 
wonderful truths, the treasures, the gems that are in this passage, and that you would help us, that you would bless your people. As we come to the end of this year, as we begin next Lord's Day, a new year, may you bless your people. May you be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In 1902, 1902, in the city of Saint-Pierre, on the island called Martinique, in the Eastern Caribbean Sea, there were 40,000 people who lived in the city and who were warned that Mount Pele was about to erupt. And they, for the most part, didn't believe it. They had seen smoke, they had seen steam, they had seen lava flows in the past, and the mountain (coughs) progressed day after day after day. There was a day when the mountain spewed out ash all across the city. The city was just covered with ash. There was a day when there was a great rain, and the ash was washed away, and it looked so beautiful. I'm not sure if it was that day or the next. The mountain erupted, and with the force of of a volcano, ash, steam, dust, rocks, And molten lava cascaded out the side of this mountain and enveloped the whole city. And they say that nearly or perhaps 40,000 people died almost instantly. Because the, the material at such a tremendous heat was traveling at about 200 miles per hour. That was at least what Mount St. Helens did here in the United States. But they were warned, and they didn't really heed the warning. They waited too long, and there were only two survivors out of that perhaps 40,000 people. One was a prisoner in a cell that was partially underground, and he put his clothing in the window to protect himself from the ash. The other was a shoemaker on the outer edge of the city. <clears throat> Jesus is very close to the end of his life on earth in this passage of Scripture in John chapter 15. And he is actually, in this whole context, he is giving his disciples warnings. He is actually preparing them for his crucifixion and his departure from the earth after resurrection, ascending to the right hand of the Father. And he's preparing them for persecution. He's preparing them for the trouble that is coming their way. And we can see that throughout this, this passage of Scripture in chapter 13, these these discourses of our Lord are very close together in time. And this is right at the end of his life. And in 1333, he says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you. So he's warning them that it's, it's a short time that I'm with you. In chapter 14, verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. He's about to go out of this world. He's warning his disciples. 1430, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. Chapter, skipping chapter 15, 
going to chapter 16, verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. He's warning his disciples. This is toward the end. Verse 3, And these things that will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? Chapter 16 and verse 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. By the way, we're in that little while today, and he's coming soon. Hallelujah. Chapter 16, verse 28, he says, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His high priestly prayer, that prayer that changed everything. Amen. These, chapter 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What a... What a wonderful thing. Our Savior is preparing his disciples. He was then arrested, tried by evil men, crucified upon his cross for our sins. But his disciples were given this word of preparation. Perhaps there's not a more urgent message needed for the church in this hour than this. This message given by Christ to his small band of disciples here at the end of his earthly ministry. May the Lord speak these words into our hearts as we consider what is happening around us, how our world is changing, how there is a lot of evil going on in our world today. We see reputable leaders or men who, whom we would esteem to be reputable leaders going and being with men who are talking about reducing world population. We're seeing all kinds of things happening around us, things I won't say at this moment. <clears throat> but, but Jesus has warned his disciples, and Jesus has also prepared them. Have you ever thought of John chapter 15 in the context of preparation for trials, preparation for hard times? We need John chapter 15 for the days ahead. Young people, you will need John chapter 15 in the days ahead. Maybe, perhaps it will be years ahead. Maybe, perhaps it will be decades ahead. But God knows. <clears throat> Jesus in John chapter 15 gives his disciples a beautiful analogy. It is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful illustration. And that picture is that Jesus is the vine, and the father is the husbandman or the vine dresser, the farmer, the one who, who dresses and cares for the vine, and disciples of Jesus are the branches in the vine. This is not an ornamental vine. This is not something just to look at for its beauty. In fact, this vine is, the vine itself is beautiful. The branches aren't always so beautiful, are they? <laughs> you have an illustration in front of you here this morning. It is not an ornamental vine. It's not a windbreak or hedge of protection from the wind. It's not a seasonal planting that dies in a few short months, like my garden at my house that has died in this wonderful weather that we're having. I'm just hoping my satsuma trees are surviving. I'm just hoping that that my um, other trees, my, even my loquats, are making it. It's not a seasonal planting that dies in a few short months. <clears throat> this is a grapevine planted to bear fruit for a long period of time. And this vine is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we 
are the branches who are grafted into that vine, and the Father is shepherding or, or husbanding us as the husbandmen. <clears throat> this is a beautiful picture. And within this beautiful picture, there is an emphasis. There's an emphasis being made by our Lord in this picture of the vine, and that emphasis is an emphasis upon fruitfulness. And you've seen it already as we've read and as you've looked at it in the past. The vine provides life-giving sap to the branches. The husbandman watches over the vine and cares for it. The branches, the branches are there for the purpose of bearing fruit. He planted it for the very purpose, if I can just use the word planting in, in relation to it all. He planted it in order for fruit to be born. Just as you would plant a pear tree in your yard. I have two of them. Just as you would plant loquat trees. I have at least two of them. <laughs> just as you would plant Meyer lemons or whatever you might have, and, and I have a few of those too. Thankful to the generosity of my daughter. <clears throat> the branches are there for the purpose of bearing fruit. I love to plant fruit trees because I love to have fruit, and, and I enjoy it so much. <clears throat> I grew up as a child in Miami, and, and we had fruit on our trees, and I, I loved it. Barbados cherries were so wonderful. Um, Suriname cherries were delicious. We had banana trees. I ate little fingerling bananas as a boy and enjoyed that. <clears throat> I enjoyed the fruitfulness of Malawi. We, we would go into the marketplace and there were mangoes and there were papayas and there were coconuts and there was every manner of fruit that you can imagine in a tropical, uh, semi-tropical environment. Well, God is after fruit. God loves fruit. And, and he saved us to be a fruitful people. And, it, and this passage is all about fruit. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. And the implication of a husbandman is someone who goes and cares for the vine in order that the vine may bear fruit. I have never known someone to plant a vineyard and just say, isn't it a beautiful vineyard, and watch all the grapes go to waste. But no, they planted it for a purpose, to grow those grapes. He says in verse 2, <clears throat> Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Fruitful branches are pruned for the purpose of bearing more fruit. And, <clears throat> and fruitless Branches, branches that are not bearing fruit, are taken away. This is not talking about the loss of salvation. We know from the analogy of faith from all of Scripture that, that we're secure in Christ. He who begins a good work in you will finish it till the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're saved for a purpose. God has a people. He will lose none of them. But yet, the Lord is giving us an illustration and as J.C. Ryle says, we shouldn't try to make this parable um, teach too many things from all of the details. There are some interesting details in here that teach lessons, though. <clears throat> but he's not teaching that you can lose your salvation. He's teaching that if you are fruitless, you're not a true believer. If there's no fruit in your life, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. And yet, if you have even a little bit of fruit, God is going to work in your life. And so the husbandman watches over the vine and cares for it. Probably a good place to stop and think about that a second. That, <coughs> that those who keep vines of grapes know that you have to go out there at certain seasons and you have to prune off all the branches that are not fruit-bearing and you have to just be ruthless to that plant. And I knew a guy, a pastor, who had a large vineyard. He had bought some land with, with vines on it, with a, with a vineyard on it. And he would go out there and he would cut those vines back until you thought, this is ruthless. He's destroying his, his vineyard. 
His plants were so small and, and cut back. And lo and behold, the spring would come and the branches would come out and they would bear fruit. And the husband knows how to do that and he does that in your life and he does that in mine. And he gives us sometimes sicknesses and trials and difficulties that we do not, we look at those things in our lives and we say, this is not the way to bear fruit. This is killing me. This is destroying my life. But no, God is working in you and God is using those things for a purpose. And so he's talking to disciples who are about to go through great trials. And he says, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bear, bring forth more fruit. And his disciples are about to go through a very fruit-bearing preparation process. Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they're going to go through the fire. And the Lord means it for good. The Lord means it for good in their lives. In verse 3, he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The Lord makes it clear that he's speaking to those who are already saved. Now are ye clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. This is not a salvation message that the Lord is speaking to his disciples. This is a message for disciples who know him, and he says, you're clean. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. You've already been cleansed. I've spoken the word to you, and you know me. You have a relationship with me. These disciples, except for Judas, were born-again believers. They were walking with Christ. They knew him. They were growing in him. (coughs) With all of their faults, they were growing in, in Christ, and they were clean. They were cleansed. So this is not a message of of salvation so much as, as it is a message of sanctification. He's talking about sanctification. Fruit bearing belongs to those who are already cleansed by the word of God, the word of Christ. So fruitfulness does not make you clean. You're not seeking to, to cleanse yourself or make, make yourself um, savable by fruitfulness. The gospel does that. But the Lord is telling his disciples, you're clean through the word which I've spoken to you. And then he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Fruit bearing has its source in the vine. Don't ever think, I'm going to go out and I'm going to bear fruit. In myself. Look at me. The Lord saved me. Now I have this wonderful deposit and I am capable of bearing fruit as a believer. You are not. I am not capable of bearing fruit. This actually has encouraged me to stand up here and preach this morning. It has to be the Lord doing it. And we've cried out to him. But fruit bearing has its source in the vine. They need that life-giving sap flowing through the vine into the branches in order for the fruit to be born. This is true of the disciple in relationship with Christ. The secret of fruit bearing is abiding in Christ. The secret of fruit bearing is drawing your resources by faith from the living Savior and drawing the power that you need to to overcome sin in your life and drawing the power that you need to pray, and drawing the power that you need to be a godly husband, and and drawing the power that you need from Christ to be a godly wife, and to to honor and respect that difficult husband that you have. And, And in all areas of life, the believer draws life, power, strength from Christ that he or she might bear fruit. It all comes from him. It's not that you, in and of yourself, have it. You know, Christians have not arrived. We're we're all a work in progress. And we need Christ to fill us. We need his spirit to empower us. And this is the analogy that we have. This is the secret of bearing much fruit. Without Jesus, 
you can do nothing. Now, young people, that does not mean that you cannot do your schoolwork. Nor does that mean, chapel workers, that you can't do your chapel work. <laughs> if, you, if you're without Christ. <clears throat> or, or whoever you might be. That, that Without Jesus, you can do nothing does not mean that you cannot do things that other human beings can do. There are many things that human beings can do. But the Lord is talking about you can do nothing that is spiritual. You can do nothing that is fruit-bearing in a spiritual way. You just can't do it. You cannot do it in yourself. It is, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. I can only do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> Paul even said, when I am weak, then am I strong. When I'm at my weakest point, that is when the all-sufficient grace of God comes and works in my life. No matter what you're going through this morning, you need to look to Christ. You need to lean upon him. I need to lean upon him. No matter what you're going through, Christ is the one who will sustain you. He, will the one, be the, he is the one who will bear fruit in your life as you look to him in faith and as you walk with him. Well, those who do not abide in Christ are to be burned in the fire. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Those who do not abide in Christ are to be burned in the fire. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's not saying that you can lose your salvation. But this is an urgent warning to all believers that you must bear fruit. God is after fruit in your life. God is after not just fruit in your life, but he's after more fruit in your life. And in his word, he talks about bearing fruit in old age, those who fear him. And I'm really encouraged by that thought and challenged by it. Let, let us realize that God wants more fruit out of his vine, out of his branches. And the only way we're going to bear fruit is as we tap into the resource that we have in Christ by faith. So here's a warning to all of us. If we're fruitless, we will be cast out as branches and burned in the fire. We profess faith in Christ. Fruitfulness is the evidence of possession. This is a warning to unbelievers as well as believers. And if you're outside of Christ, Christ wants you to come to him. And there's plenty of room in the vine for new branches to be brought in. And we thank God for that. Amen. Come to Jesus and be fruitful. In verses 7 and 8, we see that Jesus is after much fruit in his disciples again. This identifies them as his disciples and it glorifies the Father. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. How can we know that we're his disciples? We bear fruit. We bear fruit. Read the, read the epistle of 1 John sometime and, and look at all of the fruit in a believer's life. Loving others and doing righteousness, obeying his commands. If you're going to be prepared for what is ahead of you, just as the disciples were being prepared by Jesus, young people, you need to hear this. You must be in the vine and you must abide in the vine. Without Jesus, you will not be fruitful in the years to come. Without Jesus... You will not be fruitful. You have a man with gray hairs standing here today, almost 65 years old. My mom would say 65 years young. 
because she's 93. But I'm telling you, I have seen a lot of things in my life. Young people, you need Christ. You need Christ for fruitfulness. Old guys, you need Christ. Middle-aged guys, you need Christ. And you need to be fruitful for him. Oh, Lord, make us more fruitful. Amen? Lord, give us fruit in our lives, fruit in our, in our relationship with other believers, fruit in our homes, fruit in our work, fruit in our Bible reading, fruit in our prayer lives. Lord, make us fruitful as you would have us to be. From the rest of Scripture, we can see that fruitfulness includes at least this list that I'm going to give you, likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Supreme fruitfulness is becoming like Christ. God saved us for that purpose. We heard that to some degree with Victor's messages on the Wednesdays that he's spoken and how that, <clears throat> how that God's great purpose in the life of every believer is that they might be conformed to the image of God's Son, that we might be like Him. And so we need to study Him and to know Him and that fruit will begin to appear as we trust in him by faith. <clears throat> we see that fruitfulness includes at least the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, all of these things, and more. The fruit of the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, and as we yield ourselves to the Spirit, and as we don't grieve or quench the Spirit or resist the Spirit in our lives, but we, we behold Christ by faith and we draw from Him, the Spirit works in our lives and we see fruitfulness. And we see the fruit of the Spirit, that love and joy and peace and so on. Holiness of life. This, this could be the, the all-encompassing word that we use, the word holiness, Holiness of life is fruitfulness. God says in his word, be holy for I am holy. And 1 Peter chapter 1 brings that out very clearly. That, <clears throat> that we are to be a holy people, not conformed to our former manner of life, but be ye holy as I am holy. If you want to know what Peter means when he says, when the Lord says, be holy as I am holy, read the whole epistle of 1 Peter and look at all the things that he talks about in that epistle, whether it's talking about uh, men's relationship with their wives or wives with their husbands and wives in their dress and, 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 and just so many things. Our relationship with the word, desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. I spent a whole year looking at 1 Peter. It was so good. And I think that was 2021. And I went to Africa with a lot of 1 Peter in my mind, and I preached it. <laughs> First message I preached. I got there on a Wednesday. I had, I had flown for days. I got there on a Wednesday. I flew into to Malawi, and I was so tired. And they said, we want you to preach. And I preached on 1 Peter. <laughs> Be holy, for I am holy. From the rest of Scripture, we see that fruitfulness includes holiness of life. It includes the two great commandments, loving God and loving others, especially the brotherhood. It includes obedience. All acts of obedience are fruitfulness. Growing in grace is fruitfulness. I heard my son Victor preach a message on growing one time, and I've never forgotten it. And it was, it was a challenge to me. Growing in grace. Thank God when our sons can grow up and preach to us. And they can stand up and, and lead singing and say, my brother is going to preach. Amen. My brother, dad. Fruitfulness includes putting off the old man and putting on the new man. That's Paul's way of putting it in, in Ephesians and <clears throat> even in Colossians putting off the old self that we were, all that we were in our unregenerate self and all that we did in our evil, evil mind and evil heart and our darkness and our blindness, putting it off and putting on the new man in Christ Jesus, all that Christ has meant for us to be. That is fruitfulness. Transformed lives as husbands, wives, children, employees, and citizens, 
transformed by the grace of God, that's fruitfulness. Fruitfulness on the job. (laughs) Fruitfulness at school. Fruitfulness at the dinner table. Okay. Getting too close to home now. Fruitfulness when you go to bed at night. Fruitfulness when you wake up in the morning. Fruitfulness when you wake up in the middle of the night. Transformed lives. It includes shining as lights in a sinful world. Getting you ready for a dark world. Shining as lights in a sinful world. Rescuing others from destruction. Sharing Christ with others. Some people say, oh, this fruitfulness is talking about making other believers. Well, it has to do with that, yes. But that's not all it has to do with. It has to do with all the holy character that God wills and desires in your life and mine in conformity to the image of Christ. Holiness, love, obedience, all of these things. Well, the question in all of our minds should be, how can I as a branch in the vine be ever more and more fruitful? How can I bear more fruit? (laughs) Whether you're a muscadine or whether you're a concord, whether you're a white grape or a red grape (laughs) or purple grape. You young people, you love grapes, don't you? I could eat grapes all day. I love them. My wife says they're fattening. But the question in our minds should be, how can I, as a branch in the vine, be ever more and more fruitful? And this passage is so rich with answers to that question. This passage is bursting with with fruitful answers to that question. We are fruitful because we abide in Christ, and he abides in us. Jesus said, I am the vine. You're the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We are fruitful because we abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us. I say this is the great secret of living the Christian life. It's no secret, but uh, let me use the word secret. (laughs) This is the great answer to the question How can I have power to live this life? This life is demanding. This life is a a higher walk. Be holy as I am holy. How can I do that? Well, it's because of Christ. Christ abiding in us and that that life-giving sap coming from the vine into the branch and giving us power and enablement. The abiding of Christ in you is the grand power of your Christian walk and your Christian life. In Ephesians chapter 3, we have Paul's wonderful prayer for the Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul shows that this abiding is by faith. Chapter 3 and verse 17, he's praying for believers And this is what he prays for believers, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Believers are being prayed for that Christ would abide or dwell in their hearts by faith. Wow. He's there, isn't he? Yes, he is. But there is an intensive element to that abiding. There is a there is a growth in our, in our drawing from those resources that are ours in Christ. We grow in him. We learn more of him. We grow in obedience. We grow in holiness. We grow in conformity to Christ. We grow in putting off the old man and putting on the new. We learn more and more. And that's why sometimes Christians don't look saved when they first get saved. And John Newton was that way, who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And a lot of people were thinking, he's not the real thing. But the grace of God was in his life, and the fruit began to manifest itself. And that's the way it is in our lives. We grow. And so Paul says to these Ephesians in verse 17 that Christ... May dwell. This is what he prayed for them to the Father, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell richly in your hearts. That Christ may dwell fully in your hearts. 
that Christ may be your all in all by faith. As you you look to him in faith, as you learn more about him, as you learn more about his glory and his wonder, and as you sing songs like crown him, crown him, and, and you think of Christ, and you come together as saints to hear about Christ, and, and you think more and more upon him. I, I think one of the greatest series of messages I've ever heard, not exalting a human being, was in this room when we were looking at Christ in Matthew. We wept together. We exalted together. We rejoiced together. We, we, some of us may have shouted together. At least some of the quiet ones were shouting in their hearts. And others were shouting aloud, but we, we wept and we, we loved this glorious Savior who paid the full price for sin and for sinners. And we need to continually behold him and we need to behold him by faith that we might abide yet more in him, that he might abide yet more in us. And when we're going through trials and, and, and testings and temptations, we need not to lean upon our own resources or try to lean upon our own resources, but we need to go to that Christ who dwells within us and cry out to him for the power that we need and remember him and trust in him by faith. We are fruitful because we abide in Christ and he abides in us. We fruitfully abide as his word abides in us. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. We fruitfully abide as his word abides in us. If you're going to be prepared for what is ahead of you, and whether, whether we're talking in terms of the worldwide uh, things that we're going through or whether we're talking about your own individual life, you need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Word of God. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And and that is the way it's going to be for us. Even now, at the end of this year, are you thinking about what you're going to do with the word next year? We should all be thinking about what is my reading plan for next year? How am I going to do it? Are you gonna Are you gonna go through the Bible one time? Are you gonna do like somebody that I knew and go through the Bible several times in the year? I'm not recommending that necessarily. <clears throat> are you going to concentrate on one book of the Bible? Are you gonna be in the New Testament only and a little bit Old Testament? Are you gonna be in the Old Testament or a little New? Te- what are you going to do? You need to think about it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And, and not just reading the word, but meditating on the word and making the word a, a part of your life. My words abide in you. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Abiding in Christ involves his word dwelling in us richly. Are you abiding in him today? You know, this is interesting because <laughs> this, is, this is how we abide in him. And this is the fruit of abiding in him. And the more we read the word, the more we're going to read the word. Amen. We fruitfully, much much fruit is produced from much of his word in our hearts. We fruitfully abide as we engage with him in prayer. Verse 7, last part of the verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. We fruitfully abide as we engage with Christ in prayer. Now, what can we say? We need more prayer, don't we? We need more faithfulness in our prayer lives. Maybe we need more trials. Because trials draw us out in prayer. Say, why did I have so many trials back in 2020? 
2021, 2022. Why did I have so many trials? Well, the Lord's teaching you to pray. <clears throat> sister, a sister was telling me that her husband was asked to preach five minutes before he stood up to preach. He was asked to preach. There was an emergency in the church of some kind. There was a, someone didn't make it to preach. He had to preach instantly. Don't you know his prayer life improved? <laughs> Don't you know his prayer life maybe didn't improve, but just kept on going? <laughs> the Lord brings trials in our lives to teach us to pray. I'm thankful for a pastor who prays. I thank God for a pastor who encourages us to pray. I have been more encouraged to pray in the past couple years than perhaps all my life. And I'm thankful for that. May the Lord help us not just to talk about it, not just to, to say it's a good thing and, and all, yeah, that's a good, that's, yeah, we need that. Amen. Let's all say amen. Okay, we said it. Now let's do it. Let's pray as we ought. We fruitfully abide as we engage with Christ in prayer. We are continuing, we are remaining in him as we read his word and he speaks to us. And we are abiding and remaining and dwelling in him as we commune with him in prayer. We fruitfully abide as we follow Jesus in verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As we follow Jesus. That's what disciples are. A disciple is a follower. Following him. We fruitfully abide as we abide in Christ's love. Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Abiding in Christ involves abiding in Christ's love. I love that verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God. <laughs> he loves you. Now keep yourself in that, in that frame. Keep, keep yourself in, in a conscious regard of that love. Keep yourself in an attentive meditation upon that love. It's not that you draw more love from God because God's love is there and, and, and it's unchanging love, and, and he's not going to love you less tomorrow or more tomorrow. God's love is steadfast. It's a steadfast love. He loved you before the foundation of the world, and he drew you to himself, and he has a place for you if you're his child, but you keep yourself in the love of God. You keep yourself focused upon his love, and that's a part of abiding in Christ. And that love was expressed on Calvary's cross in its fullest and most rich and, and wonderful form, when Jesus Christ, the God-man, bore our sins in his body on the tree, and where he expired his last breath for us, it is finished. And all the filth and the defilement and the wickedness of our lives was paid for on that cross. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep looking to Christ in his mediatorial role, in his saviorhood, and what he's done for you. We fruitfully abide as we obey Christ in all his commandments. Verse 10. I've heard messages where this was the only thing that was brought out. <laughs> There's so much more here, but, but this is important. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, let us not say that this is the only thing in the passage, but if it's the only thing you're going to mention, let it be the only thing. But obey Christ. Amen. Take his commandments and, and seek to obey them. He knows that you love him as you obey him. Right. He sees that you love him. You express your love to him through obedience. He knows you love him even when you don't obey him. But he, he, <clears throat> he wants you to walk in obedience to his commandments. Whether it's commandments that are red letter commandments in the Bible, whether it's commandments through his apostles further revealed by the Spirit, whether it's commandments from the old covenant law 
that he has brought to us the moral commands of God that he spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount and clarified for us and and brought to the heart and and to their fullest peak, let us obey Christ in all things. Let us seek to obey him, and in doing so, we fruitfully abide in his love. Fruitfulness is also connected with our special identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this quickly. Our special identity, our elect position, and our glorious purpose, and our access to the Father, and our special love for one another. Okay? <laughs> Here it is in verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord, his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. That is your special identity. And as you realize who you are in Christ, you're his friend. You abide in him. You dwell in him. You dwell in him more richly because you realize you're accepted in the beloved. Our elect position in verse 16, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. That is your elect position. Your elect position is that you have not chosen Christ, but he has chosen you. He's speaking this to his disciples. It applies to you as well. I have a note in the side of my Bible, Sunday evening. Ten five zero three R A H Richard Harding preached a message on this. And I went back to Africa. And the Lord blessed me with some measure of seeing fruit that he was bringing forth. Our elect position, he has chosen us in him. And, and our glorious purpose, what is our glorious purpose? Our glorious purpose is enduring fruitfulness. And ordained you, verse 16, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever... Ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. He wants you. Fruitfulness is connected with our glorious purpose. Also, it's connected with our access to the Father. <clears throat> that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. And we've already spoken on prayer, but this is bringing it out further. And our special love for one another In verse 17, these things I command you, that ye love one another. We're commanded, but we're commanded to love one another preeminently. Because that is is the great command under which all of the other commands that have to do with God's people is, is summarized. That you love one another. Oh, we abide in Christ as we love the body of Christ, as we love one another, as we give ourselves for the body of Christ, as we sacrifice ourselves for the body of Christ. None of us have done it perfectly yet, but we want to keep doing it. And we know from Ephesians chapter 4 that there are difficult people in the body of Christ, like Frank Maxson. (laughs) And we know that because he says we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with all long-suffering, with forbearance. And so we, we love the body of Christ because our, our Lord commands it. We're going to spend eternity together. We're going to be with each other throughout eternity. These things I command you that ye love one another. Well, let me bring this to a summary and a head. And, and at the, at, in the last, and I didn't read this because you were standing, and I didn't want to read the whole chapter while you were standing. But in verses 18 through 25, which I didn't read, we are given a sobering reality 
and a preparatory warning. That sobering reality is that the world is going to hate you. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The world will hate you if you abide in Christ. If the world loves you, then something is terribly wrong. If the world, I'm not saying that the world can't, can't appreciate your kindness to them. But if you are living this kind of holy life, this kind of obedient life, this kind of life of conformity to Christ, in general, the world is going to hate you. I don't know if some of you guys with big families have ever had this, but I had a big family in a restaurant one time, and I had a guy looking at me like he wanted to kill me. He was glaring at me, and he was very angry. He didn't say anything to me, but I could tell he was angry. Doesn't happen very often, but I think it was because I was overpopulating the world, in his opinion. <clears throat> we have had neighbors who have, who have been our enemies from the get-go, simply because of the way we dress and the way we live. And we've tried to be friends, and we've tried to give them cookies, and we've tried to do things for them. And yet, they don't love us. Some of them do, but some of them don't. Some of them like us. The world hated Christ, and the world hates you if you're like Christ. And that is becoming more and more open and daring in our culture. That is becoming a more prominent thing that we see in our culture. Are you ready spiritually to face Satan and the evil world system? <clears throat> Young people, you're either going to go the way of this evil world or you're going to abide in Christ. And you need to abide in Christ. You need to come to him and know him. Well, the truth has been set before us. Now, what is our response to the truth? Let us be more and more fruitful as we seek to abide more and more in a glorious Savior. A Savior who is worthy of our abiding. A Savior who has paid the full price for our sins. Let us draw near to Him. Let us draw closer and closer to Him. Near to, to the heart of our God. Nearer, still nearer. That he, would, that he would draw us and that we would come. And that we would know the fullness of His Holy Spirit. And that we would shine as lights in a sin-darkened world. <clears throat> and as we consider all that's ahead of us, let's be sure that we have a living connection with the vine. Let's be sure, like Jesus warned these disciples, that we have a living connection with Jesus Christ, who is the vine, and that the husbandman, the father, is working in our lives. Let us draw our life and power for him, from him for this life, and may we be fruitful and may we glorify him in all that we do. Amen. Let us pray. Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for a glorious Savior. Give us grace to walk with him. Give us grace to be a holy people. To be an obedient people. To be a Christ-like people. Thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, awaken us. Revive our hearts, renew us, refresh us at the end of this year, and as we enter a new year, make us what you'd have us to be. Give us grace to love Jesus with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength, to love the Father, to love the Spirit, to love one another, to be an abiding people. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Let us stand together. And I will read just a few verses from the end of 1 Thessalonians by way of benediction.
1 Thessalonians 3:12 And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints 523 And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen. God bless you in your fellowship.